This week's episode of Paranormally Speaking, I will be discussing a pretty heavy topic that has revolved around a lot of what I've dealt with, what I have done, what I continue to research and warn people about, and how I've acted as a consultant for other paranormal research teams or other paranormal experts, and that is the occult. In the broadest sense, it is a category of esoteric supernatural beliefs and practices which generally fall outside the scope of organized religion and science, encompassing phenomena involving otherworldly agency such as magic and mysticism, varied spells, things of parapsychology, and within it can also refer to supernatural ideas like extrasensory perception. The term occult sciences was used in the 16th century in Europe to refer to astrology, alchemy, and natural magic. The term occultism emerged in the 19th century in France amongst figures such as Anton Court de Gablin. It came to be associated with various French esoteric groups connected to Eliphas, Levi, and Palpus in the 1875, which was introduced in the English language by the esoteric Helena Blatavsky. Throughout the 20th century, the term was used sort of like idolatry is used by a range of different authors. But by the 21st century, it was commonly employed, including by academic scholars of esotericism, to refer to a range of esoteric currents that developed in the mid-19th century and their descendants. Occultism is thus often used to categorize such esoteric traditions as spiritualism, theosophy, anthroosophy, Wicca, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, the New Age, and Satanism. Use of the term as a normalized adjective has developed especially since the late 20th century in that same period, occult and culture were combined to form the neo neologism, a culture, basically. Occult sciences, the idea of that, developed in the 16th century. The term usually encompassed three practices. As I said, astrology, alchemy, and natural magic. And those would branch off into Wicca, voodoo, hoodoo, modern-day Satanism, in the modern usage, the term occult has also been used as a substantialized adjective as, well, the occult. The term that has been particularly widely used among journalists and sociologists. The term was popularized by the publication of Colin Wilson's 1971 book, The Occult. This term has been used as an intellectual wastebasket into which a wide array of beliefs and practices have been placed because they do not fit 
readily into the categories of religion or science. According to Hannah Graf, the occult is a category into which gets placed a range of beliefs from spirits or fairies or parapsychology, experiments, from UFO abductions to oriental mysticism, from vampire legends to channeling, and so on. Since the beginning of time, the occult, well, the beginning of our evolution, human beings have believed in the supernatural. Ancient humans, unable to rationally explain and measure certain phenomena, began to believe in hidden agents to understand the belief of the world around them. Eventually, these beliefs evolved to include entities like gods and goddesses, spirits, demons, angels, monsters, and witches, all of which could impose their will on the world. Today, we call such things a cult, which in its broadest sense refers to anything that is unknown. The word comes from the Latin occultatus, meaning clandestine, hidden or secret, in its modern iteration, occult practices center on harnessing these hidden powers and bending the laws of nature to benefit oneself. These practices encompass several disciplines, including magic, spirituality, alchemy, astrology, and divination, all of which are considered pseudosciences today. Picturing the occult will take viewers on a mystical journey through the supernatural. This exhibition could explore the roots of these practices through their depictions and works on paper throughout history, including manuscript pages, etches, engravings, all taken from permanent collections throughout time, passed from generation to generation. And there have been prominent figures within the world of spiritualism and the occult. For example, Aleister Crowley, Anton Zander LaVey, uh, there was another one, uh, Ben, uh, not, what was his name, Ben Alexander, who uh, headed up Exposing Satan's Power. He started out as a mystic and a medium and then eventually got into warning people about the dangers of using the occult the wrong way. Now, I believe that man is 98 years old now. He's still kicking. But that's what this episode will be about this week on Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. Buckle up because I'm going to be discussing demons, who Satan really is, why he wants to destroy us, and how angels are agents of God magic, essentially. Not only messengers, but agents of hope and to guide us through paths that we're supposed to follow. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors, and I will be right back. Unparalleled Insider Access. Get it all. Introducing the Sirius XM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. 
Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer detail supply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. The devil. He is the personification of evil. As it is conceived in various cultures and religions, traditions, it is seen as the objectification of a hostile and destructive force. The author, Jeffrey Burton Russell, states that the different conceptions of the devil can be summed up as, one, a principle of evil independent from God, two, an aspect of God, three, a created being turning evil, such as a fallen angel, four, a symbol of human evil. It is difficult to specify a particular definition of any complexity that will cover all of the traditions. Beyond that, it is a manifestation of evil. It is meaningful to consider the devil through the lens of each of the cultures and religions that have the devil as part of their mythos. The history of this concept intertwines with theology, mythology, psychiatry, art, and literature, maintaining a validity and developing independently within each of the traditions. It occurs historically in many contexts and cultures and is given many different names. Satan, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Mephistopheles, Iblis, and attributes. It is portrayed as blue, black, or red. He's also portrayed as having horns on his head and without horns, and so on. Without depictions of the devil, they're usually taken seriously, but there are times when it's treated less seriously. When, for example, devil figures are used in advertising and on candy wrappers, of all things. The modern English word devil derives from the Middle English devel, from the Old English diophol, that in turn represents an early Germanic borrowing of the Latin diablos. This is in turn, which was borrowed from the Greek diablas slanderer, from diabalain to slander, from dia, across, through, and balin, to hurl, probably akin to Sanskrit jirat, he lifts up. In his book, The Devil, Perceptions of Evil from Antiquity to Primitive Christianity, Jeffrey Burton Russell discusses various meanings and difficulties that are encountered when using the term devil. He does not claim to define the word in general sense, but he describes the limited use that he intends for the word in his book, limited in order to minimize its difficulty and for the sake of clarity. In this book, Russell uses the word devil as the personification of evil found in a variety of cultures, as opposed to the word Satan, which he reserves specifically for the figure in the Abrahamic religions. In the introduction to his book, Satan, a biography, Henry Ansgar Kelly discusses various considerations and meanings that he has encountered in using terms such as devil and Satan, etc., while not offering a general definition, he describes that in his book, whenever Diablos is used as the proper name of Satan, he signals it by using small caps. The Oxford English Dictionary has a variety of definitions for the meaning of devil. Supported by a range of citations, devil may refer to Satan, the su supreme spirit of evil, or one of Satan's emissaries, or demons that populate hell and earth or to one of the spirits that possess a person. Devil may refer to one of the malignant deities feared and worshipped by heathen people. A demon, a malignant being of superhuman powers, figuratively,
devil may be applied to a wicked person, or playfully to a rogue or a rascal, or an empathy often accompanied by the words, poor to a person, poor, poor devil. I'm Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. This week, I'm going to be discussing Satan, his influence, and the darkness within people when they allow evil to overcome them and turn them into killing machines. Please hold for an important message from one of my sponsors. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. What a list I have compiled here of different demonic entities, names, locations, ages, uh, basic information of the types of demons, which I call the complete guide to demons in the underworld. One of the most common ways the types of demons are classified in the study of demonology is by domain. When types of demons are classified by their domain, the demons are attributed to a specific activity such as mortal sin, knowledge, questionable behavior that some people may be prone to, or certain misfortunes, sickness or addictions. Each demon within its domain has its tasks and abilities according to their authority, and each demon interacts with humanity in their own unique way. Uh, different uh, various ways that different types of demons have been classified by domain through the ages. Uh, the list that I have uh, of general demon names, if uh, that is what you're looking for, that of, that of course, uh, what is a demon to start off with? Before we get started... The definition of a demon according to Webster's Dictionary. A demon is an evil spirit or devil, especially one thought to possess a person or act as a tormentor in hell. Types of demons. It is important to note that all of these different classifications for the types of demons below are based upon the Western view that the demon is a fallen angel cast out of heaven by God. The devil or Satan will always be on the top of these hierarchies, also, do not try at any time to communicate or summon a demon in any way, shape, or form. You will not have total control of these entities, and they are dark, ravenous beings that want nothing other than to consume your soul. Demons in the Testament of Solomon. King Solomon purportedly wrote one of the earliest works in Western culture, where types of demons are classified by domain. The Testament of Solomon, in this piece, King Solomon describes his interactions with Beelzebub and other demons who he enslaves to help build his temple. The book also contains numerous rituals and sigils that are still used today to conjure demons. Demons listed by Seleucus in the 11th century, Michael Seleuz attempted to classify types of demons by domain. The type of demons that Seleuz divided demons into were Imperial, which uh, fiery, Aerial, subterranean, Lucifugius, which is uh, heliophobic, uh, Aqueos, and terrestrial. Demons listed by the seven deadly sins. Deadly sin number one, pride, the lantern of light, an anomalous English Lillard tract often attributed to Wycliffe was also known, unknown at that time, 
a work that is now believed to be written by Wycliffe himself. The book categorized types of demons based upon the seven deadly sins. These types of demons that Wycliffe used would be later found in the books by John Taylor, the water poet. St. Catherine of Siena attacked by demons, deadly sin number one. Deadly sin one is demon Lucifer. Deadly sin number two is envy, Beelzebub. Number three, wrath, Satan. Number four of the deadly sins, sloth, which is Abaddon. Deadly sin number five, greed, which is Mammon. Number six, the deadly sin and the demon for gluttony is Belphegor. Number seven, the deadly sin of lust is Asmodeus. Spina's list of demons inspired by different legends and stories of his time, Alsfonios de Spina, in 1467, classified demons by incubi and succubi, demons that have sex with the living, demons of fate, otherwise known as the angel of death, wandering groups or armies of demons, otherwise known as legion, familiars, which are animal spirit guides for witches and warlocks who are considered personal demons. Druids, in German folklore, it is an evil spirit that causes nightmares. Cambions and other demons that are born from the union of a demon with a human being, which is also Nephilim. Mischievous demons, which are imps, worker demons. I've encountered many of those upon investigations. Demons that attack clergy. The exorcist is a prime example of that. Demons that entice people into the occult and witchcraft. Bensfield's types of demons. In The Prince of Hell by Peter Bensfield in 1589, different types of demons again are classified by the seven deadly sins. The only exception is that the names of the demons are slightly different than Lantern of Light. Number one, Lucifer is pride. Mammon is once again greed. Asmodeus is lust. Leviathan is envy. Beelzebub is gluttony. Satan is wrath. And Belphegor is sloth again. The King James Bible's version of demons. Several years prior to the King James Bible, in 1591, King James wrote, Demon Ologerg. Demon Ologerg separates demons into four types based on what that devil causes torture on the living and the dead. Spectra, in the modern world, referred to a haunting, spectra or spirits of the dead that haunt places or objects. Obsession, ghosts or spirits that haunt people. Possession, demon or spirits that take over the actual body and soul of the living, and that only happens to the willing. Fairies, spirits or demons that give advice to the living. They commonly live within heavily wooded areas and places of enchantment like Ireland and Scotland. Types of demons, according to Michaelis, types of demons that Sebastian Michaelis has in his own book, The Admirable History, were given to him by the demon Berith. When he was exercising a nun, his classification system is based upon the sin the devil tempts the living to commit. First hierarchy, princes of fallen angels, Beelzebub, the demon that tempts men with pride is opposed by St. Francis of Assisi. Leviathan, the demon attempts 
people to give into heresy and is opposed by St. Peter. Asmodeus, the demon that tempts men into wantonness, is opposed by St. John the Baptist. Berith, the demon who tempts men to commit murder, is opposed by St. Barnabas. Astaroth, the demon tempts men to be lazy, opposed by St. Bartholomew. Verine, the demon tempts men with impatience, and he is opposed by St. Dominique. Grizil, the demon tempts men with impurity, opposed by St. Bernard. Son Elan, the demon tempts men to hate, and he is opposed by St. Stephen. The second hierarchy, of course, demons of powers, dominions, and virtues. Cariou, the demon of powers, and is opposed by St. Vincent and Vincent Ferrer. Carnival, this demon tempts men to obscenity and shamelessness, and he is opposed by John the Evangelist. Oilet, the demon that tempts men to vow of poverty, is opposed by St. Martin. Rosier, a demon of dominions, this demon, he tempts men against sexual purity. He is opposed by St. Basil. Belias, a demon of virtues, this demon, he tempts men with arrogance and women to be vain. Raise their children as want as wantons, and Saint Francis de Paul opposes gossip during Mass. And there's a third hierarchy, and it's pretty much the same as the first and second hierarchy. Not a lot changes between those three variations. Now the nine types of demons, according to Francis Barrett, and Francis Barrett's books, The Magus, uh, written in 1801, offered this his classification for types of demons. Beelzebub, the keeper of false gods, demons of false idols and prophets. Pythias, spirit of lying, the demon of liars. This must be the demon that possesses Donald Trump. Belial, vessel of iniquity, demons of evil things. Asmodeus is the demon of wickedness. Satan is the imitator of miracles, the demon of witchcraft. He's the author of confusion, of course. Miriam. He has aerial powers and also is the demon of pestilence. Abaddon Fioris is the demon of discord. Asteroth Calminators is the demon of inquisitors and fraudulent accusers. And Memon Malageni is the demon of tempters and ensnarers. And that is a list that I felt needed to be shared. It's kind of like a walk down the book of Genesis lesson for you today. This is exactly why they call me preacher when I'm at the Mothman Festival and various other conventions and festivals uh, doing lectures and speaking because I tie in a lot of spirituality and historical knowledge, uh, both world history and biblical history, into my teachings and what I write about and talk about. Thanks for hanging out with me this long. And now, a word from our sponsor. Available to order now. My first audiobook, Neil Parks Presents Truly Terrifying Tales, narrated by me. It's ready to order and download on bandcamp.com. My other books, of course, are always available to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and lulu.com. You can also order t-shirts that I designed that I normally sell at conventions, festivals, lectures, and my book signings. I always have the 9-inch tall 3D printed Bigfoot silhouettes available, and last spring my first children's book was released. It was written by my good friend and fellow author, 
R.L. Walker. I illustrated this book, and it was a major shift in gears for me, considering that my writing and art style has always been dark and scary. To order any of what I just mentioned, you can also go to my email, which is parksparanormal at gmail.com. That is parksparanormal at gmail.com. Standing by. Demons impersonating aliens. In Matthew 24, 3 through 14, Jesus gives us a description of the last days and the deception that will accompany that time. Take heed, he warns, repeatedly, that no one deceives you. Warning of deceitful workers, the apostle Paul alerted his readers to beware. Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we are not ignorant at his devices. 2 Corinthians 2.11 And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11.14 This satanic being is so powerful that he is called the prince of this world. John 12.31 The prince of power, of the air. Ephesians 2.2 2. And even the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. That's power. The current barrage of science fiction books and movies have successfully conditioned the hearts and minds of this generation to accept demons as aliens, according to many experts from that aspect. Aliens from outer space, they've been depicted as. Even the young children in the movie, E.T., perceived a cute-looking alien as a friend. Such conditioning creates a mindset to accept demons as good entities, according to the author of that book. Entities instead of evil beings. So it's no wonder that people are deluded to believing in benevolent visitors from outer space. Star Trek and Star Wars, along with a host of other similar screenplays, have galvanized an interest in life from an outer space, thus preparing a whole generation to accept UFOs and aliens. Mankind should be taught to stand against the deception that is suggested by these movies, according to the book's author, and encouraged to understand the reality of the spirit world. As Christian parents, we should be very careful about allowing our children to view these types of movies because they can unduly influence young and innocent minds with the glamour of witchcraft and New Age philosophy, according to the book's author. I, for one, see both sides, because yes, there are beings from other worlds, whether it be other planets, whether it be a multiverse concept or other universes, or something from a completely different time that is parallel to our own world, or possibly a world that has not fallen from sin, fallen into sin, therefore not needing a redeemer like Christ. So the beings visiting us could very well be enlightened ones, uh, safe to be around and just curious as to what direction we're going to go in. But then there's a flip side of the coin. There could be dark alien entities that are not from another planet, that are not from the future, that are not from another dimension, but actually from the realm of hell, impersonating beings of interest, something that could entice us, lure us in, entirely possible. But that's the other side of the coin. The first side I mentioned, 
very well could be connected to my original theory that there are worlds that have not fallen into sin like ours has, therefore not needing a redeemer. Jesus did not have to go to those planets and seek and save the lost because they're already fine. They never took of the fruit from their Garden of Eden. They didn't need to be restored and saved, but the human race did which could explain why we are so behind technologically to these beings. I mean, yeah, we're way up there. Uh, We are about as smart as we know we can get at this point. We don't know anything beyond what we already know, but there could be beings that are far superior to us and guiding us in the right direction to make those advances in technology to better ourselves as a race, as a society, as a planet, entirely possible. But then there are Christian extremists who would love to take the book I was mentioning written by a one-sided author who's only screaming, that's a demon, that's a demon, that's a demon at everything, which really doesn't help anyone at all, nor does it cause anyone to really want to run through the doors of a church and jump onto that frame of thought because too much control there. Jesus made us creatures of free will. And when you have someone from the pulpit conducting what I refer to as divisive hate speech and calling everyone and everything that doesn't look or behave a certain way, not of God, that doesn't help anyone or anything. And that is not what Jesus came here to teach us. Please hold for a very important message from our sponsor. Fantastic. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction. Are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. That's terrific. The devil made them do it. Ten crimes blamed on demonic possession. It is part of accepted colloquial speech to blame personal tragedy or personal weakness on demons. When someone commits suicide, people often speak about the dead's battle with their own demons. When someone commits a foul, bloody deed, another set of demons are invoked, the kind that warp minds and force otherwise good and decent souls to carry out murder. Both the Christian and secular worldviews see demons as malefic parasites that destroy human goodness. They, of course, debate whether or not demons are real or just mental illness. Some criminals believe in demons, and some even believe in demons so much that they have blamed their behavior on demonic possession. The case of David Berkowitz, also known as the Son of Sam, 
is the most well-known example of a serial killer blaming a demon for their actions. In that case, Berkowitz blamed the demon that had possessed Sam, his neighbor's dog. The following 10 cases are nowhere near as famous as the son of Sam, but they all feature murderers and the demons that supposedly drove them to kill. For starters, the murder of Lauren Landavatsko. 13-year-old Lauren was walking with her friend, 13-year-old Michaela Smith, on September 2nd, 2006. The pair were walking home after school along a typically suburban footpath. At some point, the two girls were approached by a young man in a car. That man was 20-year-old Cody Lott. Lott would later give two explanations for why he did what he did that day. He was jealous because Landa Vasco seemed to have a boyfriend and the devil wanted him to do it. Regardless of which one is being the truth, Lott opened fire on both girls with a twenty-two rifle. Smith, who managed to survive the ambush, told police that Lott made eye contact with her first before pulling the trigger. Eyewitnesses also claimed that Lott shot Ladenzatsko first before shooting her again after wounding Smith. At his 2018 trial, Lott repeated that it was the devil that helped him to plan the shooting. The prosecution struck the idea that Lott was mentally unstable and angry over his inability to find a romantic partner. In one of the weirder aspects of the trial, Lott's mother and stepfather sued the city of Wichita Falls, Texas, in order to retrieve the murder weapon. According to them, the twenty-two rifle that Lott had used in the murder had been stolen from their apartment. Lott was first at first found mentally unfit to stand trial and was sent to the maximum security unit of Texas Mental Hospital. Then, in September 2018, a Fort Worth jury found Lott guilty of the murder of Lauren Lav Dazanko. Plus, they found him guilty of aggravated assault and the shooting of Michaela Smith. Lott, the man who claimed to have talked with the devil, was sentenced to life in prison. Number 9. The Attack on Peter Cherm According to his grieving family, 65-year-old Peter Cherm was a beloved father and grandfather. 17-year-old Tommy Smith did not care about any of this. The only thing he cared about on February 24, 2015, was getting the keys to Cherm's Range Rover. When Cherm stepped in to stop the young punk from stealing his vehicle, Smith, who had already been convicted of a staggering 57 offenses, pulled out a knife and stabbed Cherm in the head, back, neck, chest, and arms. The stabbing attack was so frenzied that Smith actually snapped the 8-inch knife in two. Smith went on trial for attempted murder in March 2016. Smith told the Wolverhampton Crown Court that he was not responsible for his actions and he had been possessed by a demon on that terrible day. The court more than likely did not buy the possession story, but they did take into account that Smith had been previously diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic. As such, he was cleared of the charge of attempted murder. He was, however, convicted of grievous bodily harm and burglary. Cherm was in the courtroom for Smith's sentencing, despite being blind in one eye and having survived a serious stroke as a result of Smith's onslaught. Rather than a jail cell, 
Smith was sent to a secure mental hospital for an indefinite period of time. The failed exorcism of Michael Taylor is our number eight. Believe it or not, in our secular age, exorcisms are on the rise. Last year, it was reported that the Roman Catholic Church in the United States was seeing a rise in the overall number of exorcisms throughout the country. And unfortunately, there is a shortage of exorcists. And in a, of Indianapolis alone received 1,700 exorcism requests between January and December of 2019. But back in 1974, one year before the release of the classic film The Exorcist, an exorcism was carried out in the sleepy town of Asat, West Yorkshire, England. The possessed subject was one Michael Taylor, a 31-year-old married father of five children. Most who knew Taylor described him as a cheery fellow, although he was prone to fits of depression. Now and then, for the most part of these black moods, were the result of back injury and made it hard for Taylor to maintain steady employment. Things began to change in the Taylor household when they joined the Christian Fellowship Group, a local church organization. The previously irreligious Michael began regularly attending church services. One of the reasons for his dramatic change was 21-year-old Marie Robinson, the group's preacher. Robinson convinced her congregation that the power of God could drive out their demons. Outside of these meetings, some in Osset began to claim that Robinson and Taylor were carrying out an affair. The more Taylor became involved with Robinson, the more his attitude began to change. The once chipper man became easily irritated and foul-tempered. Things came to a head when Taylor and Robinson were found naked together. Taylor blamed this on an evil presence within himself, and local Anglican vicar was called to perform an exorcism. During an all-night ceremony in October of 1974, the vicar other ministers apparently drove out 40 demons, including the demons of bestiality, incest, lewdness, and blasphemy. However, the exhausted clergyman decided to go home, even though they still believed that three demons, murder, violence, and insanity, were still in Taylor. A few hours later, Taylor was found covered in blood, which he claimed belonged to Satan himself. The blood, in fact, belonged to his wife, Christine, those mutilated, whose mutilated body was later discovered in the Taylor home. Taylor was ultimately found not guilty by reason of insanity. Number seven, the murder of Angie Escobar. On September 10th, 2015, a body was discovered inside of an abandoned car in the Whitestone section of Queens, New York. The body belonged to 28-year-old Angie Escobar, who had died after being stabbed some 80 times. The medical examiner in the case found that Angie had been killed four days prior to her discovery. Before long, the New York Police Department zeroed in on a suspect, 31-year-old Luis Zambrano of Flushing, Queens. Zambrano was arrested on September 18th after fleeing to Virginia. Zambrano ultimately confessed to police that he had stabbed Escobar with a pair of scissors after the single mother admitted that she wanted to break off their relationship. 
and pleading guilty, Zambrano claimed that he had been possessed by a demon at the time of the murder. Zambrano also blamed trust issues for his actions. Number six, Mommy is a Killer. Elizabeta Plaskowatske of Naperville, Illinois, began hearing voices sometime before October 30th, 2012. These voices told Elizabeta that her child and one of her friends were possessed and needed to die in order to found salvation. Elizabeta gave in to these voices, and on October 30th, she killed seven-year-old Justin Plaskowatske and five-year-old Olivia Dwaraskowski, Justin was Elizabeth's son, while Olivia was spending the night in the Plasky Awaska family home. Number five, a frenzy of extreme violence. In Lutton, England, it's a rough place. Earlier in 2018, crime studies in the UK found that the city was one of the highest burglary rates in all of England and Wales. Lutton is also notorious as a popular home for some of the UK's most fearsome jihadists. As recently as July 2019, a 28-year-old man and a 25-year-old woman were arrested in the city and accused of carrying documents implicating them in a forthcoming terror attack. Lutton was the scene of a very different type of horror on May 26, 2015. That night, 32-year-old Jason Nelson, originally from Granada, went to the home of 20-year-old drug dealer Jordan McGuire. The goal was to buy weed. However, Nelson didn't buy anything that night. Instead, he stabbed McGuire several times before fleeing into the night. McGuire managed to cling to life long enough to die in the street like a dog. After the police apprehended the suspect, he claimed that demons were surrounding the men that he murdered and that the demons told him in order to free himself, he had to kill Maguire. Please hold for a word from our sponsor. The Devil on Trial. Brookline, Connecticut is the type of town where murder never happens. In fact, when 40-year-old Alan Bono was murdered on February 16, 1981, it was Brookline's first homicide since the town had been founded 193 years earlier. The guilty party had stabbed Bono more than 20 times with a common pocket knife. The killer was 19-year-old Arne Cheyenne Johnson. Went to trial, proclaiming a most unusual defense, not guilty by reason of demonic possession. The Devil App. In February 2019, police in Kalamazoo, Michigan, released the 2016 interrogation tapes of spree killer Jason Dalton. Dalton, 48, carried out one of the most inexplicable mass shootings in recent memory. On February 20, 2016, Dalton, an Uber driver, shot and killed 62-year-old Mary Lou Nye and her sister-in-law, 60-year-old Joe Nye. 74-year-old Dorothy Judy Brown, 68-year-old Barbara Hawthorne, and 53-year-old Richard Smith, and his 17-year-old son Tyler. In between some of these drive-by shootings, Dalton continued to pick up passengers and drop them off at their destinations. 14-year-old Abigail Kampf 
and 28-year-old Tina Carruthers were also shot during Dalton's rampage, but they managed to survive. During its interrogation, Dalton told detectives that Uber Mobile app began changing his personality. I know you guys are going to have a hard time believing this, but it literally took over my mind and body, Dalton told investigators. Cannibal Killers, number two. It is not easy to horrify the Russian public, but that is what happened in August 2008 in a forest outside of the city of Yarskolov. Four mutilated corpses were found. The bodies had been desecrated beyond belief. Plus, homicide investigators also learned that the victims, all of whom were teenage boys, had been robbed either before or after death. Still, despite this fact, the sheer brutality of the crime led investigators to believe that robbery was not the motive. Following a trial which was closed to the public due to the gruesome nature of the crime, 21-year-old Aga Balak was sentenced to 20 years in prison on charges of robbery, murder, and corpse desecration. The other five members of the robbery group, four boys and one girl, were given sentences that ranged from eight to ten years. They did these crimes in order to please Lucifer, they claimed. And number one, the strange case of serial killer Sean Sellers. At the tender age of 16, Sean Sellers was practicing Satanism. He regularly drank his own blood. According to Sellers himself, his descent into darkness began at around age seven. However, given his rough upbringing, one could say that Sellers was damned from the beginning. All of Sean's rage and humiliation exploded on March 5th of 1986, wearing only a pair of black underwear. Sean crept into his parents' bedroom and shot both in the face. Sean would later state that he was angry at his mother because she disapproved of his girlfriend and the fact that he had dropped out of high school. Prior to the murders, Sean had carried out occult practice rituals. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Well, thanks for listening. I hope you're not scared shitless. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Paranormally Speaking. I had a lot to cover today. Please have a great rest of the week. I will be in Vermont for a week and a half and hopefully stumbled upon something different to talk about next time. Of course, Vermont is known for Lake Champlain and Champ, the possible oarfish or platyosaur that lives in the lake that is a cousin to the Loch Ness Monster. There are also a lot of Bigfoot and UFO sightings in Vermont. So I will be talking to locals as per usual. I tie this into vacation time. And I will join you next week with a new episode of Paranormally Speaking. Be sure to check me out online. Email me at parksparanormal at gmail.com or thenealparks at gmail.com. Google at thenealparks and you'll find page upon page of information about me that you can brush up on as we wait for the next episode of Paranormally Speaking. Thank you so much for listening this week. Sleep well and have a great week.
Yeah.